Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, September 20th, 2021. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. How are things going, Alex? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So what's been going on in the MBA universe on the deadlines front? Are we kind of through the worst of the round one deadlines at this point, or are there still a couple coming? Oh, I think there's still plenty coming. I think it sort of evens out a little bit over the next several weeks. Um, so we've had a bit of a rush, but we're going to see plenty more deadlines coming up. Interestingly, this upcoming week, we're getting a, a couple of schools releasing interview invites for sort of early action rounds. So we'll see, I think as a result of that, we'll, we'll end up seeing more activity um, on Livewire. I mean, obviously the big schools aren't yet ready in round one to release those interview invites, but some of these earlier action rounds, yep, interview invites are going to start rolling out next week. This week, I should say. Yes, sorry. Yeah, this week. <laughs> and I can tell that folks on the site are kind of chomping at the bit to really start using Livewire because we're seeing a lot of people use it to just indicate they applied somewhere or to ask a question. So yeah, I agree. As soon as those interview invites start to trickle out for some of the early action rounds um, where things are going to go gangbusters. Uh, I did want to mention over on the website, we published a piece about uh, well, we've done a bunch of stuff, but we've been continuing with those like admissions director Q and A. So we did a piece with um, Digo uh, Malta from uh, UT Austin McCombs, who's a great guy. Um, he did a Q and A for us on the website, and then we also have one from the director of admissions over at University of Maryland, uh, the Smith uh, program there. So check those out if you're interested. Those are um, content pieces, you know, written pieces. Not there's no podcast that goes with them. Uh, we also had a piece, Alex, that we did that you helped with on the U.S. News undergraduate uh, college and university rankings. And, you know, U.S. News came to us this year and basically said, hey, do you want to know what the rankings are in advance? Do you want to write about this? And, and we had like an internal discussion about, you know, well, do we care about this or not? Like, do we care about undergraduate rankings? And this isn't just undergraduate business school, but just generally speaking. Um, and I, I kind of, you know, felt like we do care because if you're a candidate and you went to school in America, it's probably a good piece of data to have knowing, you know, kind of where your institution falls um, in the rankings, because I think admissions officers are, are aware of that. Um, and it's kind of, you know, they might use that. I don't know if you agree. I know we had a little bit of debate that not everyone can go to a great school for undergrad, but what's your take on how, how does an admissions officer look at a transcript that comes from, you know, MIT or Caltech or something? I mean, isn't there, there's got to be some bonus points based on where you went. Yeah, I mean, I would agree, quite honestly. If you go to a top school, you've gone through a, a, a highly selective process to get to that school. And obviously, if you perform well, you've performed well relative to great peers. And, and, and you know, the faculty at these top schools are obviously outstanding in their field. So there's lots of advantage to, to, to going to schools that rank very highly. It certainly brings your GPA to life a, a little bit more. My only sort of um, counterpoint to that, Graham, and this was a point I made in our conversations, is not everybody at that time in their life has access to admissions to a top school. They might, because of their, their resources or whatever it might be, their, their only option might be their local state school or what, whatever option that might be. And my point to that is, um, for, for those folks, you know, the, the key is make sure that you show that you took full advantage of your opportunities and experiences wherever you went. And obviously, if you're applying to top schools at this stage of your, your career, that's got to be a strong signal that you've taken the most of those advantages. 
Um, and a, 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 an interesting sort of um, where, where I really make the point here, Graham, is if you graduated Princeton, you've got all kinds of recruiters and recruiter opportunities to start your career. If you graduated Podunk State, you just don't have those opportunities. So the fact that you're now applying to a top-tier MBA program says a lot about that sort of bootstrapping striver attitude that's got you you to a situation where you're now looking at the, the very best programs. Yeah, I agree. I think one thing you said that was interesting, and I, I've actually heard a recruiter at one of the top, you know, MBB consulting firms once mentioned that, you know, a lot of the benefit to going to the top business schools and recruiting for strategy consultants is that the business schools have done a lot of the weeding out for you. You know, you know that if someone's gotten into HBS or, you know, Stanford or wherever it may be, that they're probably jumped through some pretty serious hoops to get there. And so I think, you know, that's like you're saying, a lot of that applies for undergrad too, but with the big caveat of, as you say, not everyone has access or even is aware, like you might be first in your family to go to college. So admissions officers are not blind to the fact that this isn't, you know, they know what's going on socioeconomically and opportunity-wise. So, um, but in any event, I still think it's good if you're an MBA applicant and you went to school in the U.S., Makes sense to look at the U.S. News undergraduate rankings, know where your institution stands, um, and even look at some of the specializations. You know, they, they rank schools in a number of different ways, so it can be good to know as you embark on the admissions process. So who ranked number one, Graham? Oh, gosh, now you're going to put me on the spot. I can't, I can't, I think it was Princeton um, was the number one undergraduate college. Okay. And then I think on the other side, I'm, only, I'm going to get it wrong, but it was either Williams or Amherst on the liberal arts college side, because they have, the, you know, both universities and colleges and uh, I know Swarthmore was number three, so I was kind of proud of that because um, I'm a Swarthmore alum. And I think Penn was actually quite high up there. I can't remember. But and in any event, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's worth looking at. Um, but speaking of rankings, like I know you're going to get a kick out of this, but you saw Business Week release their business school rankings. And they did rankings for the U.S. and they did rankings for Europe. And you and I have talked before we kind of came on air a little bit about this and exchanged, um, we actually were exchanging on Slack earlier <laughs> with like, how do they put together this ranking? Um, what, are, you know, what, what goes into it? But I was curious if you had any thoughts. And I guess for those tuning in, I'm going to just read out the top 16 for the U.S. in order that they were ranked, because I think that'll be helpful. Um, Stanford was ranked number one, then Dartmouth, Harvard, Chicago, Kellogg, Columbia, Berkeley, MIT, Wharton, UVA, NYU, Yale, Michigan, USC, Duke, and UCLA. So that was the top 16 for U.S. MBA programs from Business Week this year. What say you, Alex? <laughs> what happened to Cornell? Yeah, I, that was, I was like, what happened to Cornell and how did Wharton end up, um, I didn't, and now I'm going to have to count, are they number nine or something? Number nine, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I know we're homers, right? But number nine seems a little bit odd. Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, the, the schools that you read out are the top 16. Uh, potentially Cornell should be in that group. So they've got the right schools, bar Cornell, um, but, but the order is, is definitely a little bit puzzling. Um, and, but, the, you know, all rankings, you know, if, if Harvard, Stanford are not the top two, and if Wharton's not um, close behind at number three, they're just wrong. <laughs> I mean, that's my interpretation, and I'll stick to it. And I think it's a bit of a shame because Business Week were the ranking pioneers. Yeah. And this is Business Week in conjunction with Bloomberg. Yeah. Um, and quite frankly, when we were at Wharton, 
Graham and I was in the admissions office business week used to um, biannually, so it was every other year, the rankings, um, rank Wharton number one. So I was very proud of that at the time. Yeah, um, it is interesting. I mean, I think um, I should mention the way that they're, you know, ranking works is actually really different than, say, U.S. News or some of the other ones. And so if you're, you know, curious, I mean, they basically survey students, alumni and recruiters. And it's the recruiters piece that's really interesting um, or, or makes it unusual. Um, and then what they do is they ask those groups to talk about, um, you know, the, the school in different, through different lenses. And so they ask them lots of questions about, um, you know, compensation. So what, what's starting salaries and, and what are people earning after business school? Uh, the learning environment is another big one. Networking, uh, they have this sort of entrepreneurship index. And then for the U.S. schools, they have a diversity index as well. So there, there are all these questions around those areas um, that are posed to students, alumni, and recruiters. And so that's how this ranking is shaped. So it could be, for for instance, um, I, I, have, I have not dug into all the details, but it could be that, you know, Dartmouth came in number two. I mean, maybe that's because um, recruiters rave about Tuck grads. I mean, that's kind of a routine thing we've heard for, you know, 20 plus years now. They, they love working with Tuck grads. And so maybe they score incredibly highly with recruiters. Um, I don't know. I mean, th- this is something that you need to dig into if you're going to look at the rankings critically. But it's just interesting. And uh, yeah, so I don't know if you had any other thoughts on the U.S. rankings there from Business Week. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And you might be very, very right about about why Tuck is ranked so so highly. But I go back to the, the simple idea, is Tuck a better program than Harvard? According to Bloomberg Business Week, the answer is yes. But according to most candidates applying to top tier programs, that and if they had those two as a choice in terms of two admits, I would say 99% would select Harvard. Yeah, that's where this gets, yeah, it's just interesting to see how does the marketplace behave versus what do these newspapers tell us? Um, so just to wrap up on Business Week, though, they also ranked European programs, and it was quite prominent. Like, I don't, I don't feel like, I know they've done it, I think, in the past, but it's, it seemed like they're giving more equal footing now. Um, and so the, they use the same criteria, except they did not have a diversity index, because that diversity index in the U.S. was based on U.S. underrepresented minorities. And I, I think they you know, just couldn't figure out how to tackle something like that in, in Europe. So the list for Europe, um, top 16, again, is IMD, ESA, Bocconi, INSEAD, LBS, IE, Cambridge, Oxford, HEC, Manchester, ESADE, ESMT, St. Gallen, EADA, and EDEC, and Mannheim. So that, that's the sort of top 16. Again, I would argue a lot of the schools you would expect to see, some might debate you know, the order there as well. Um, but I don't know if you, any thoughts on those, on that list? Yeah, INSEAD and LBS should be one or two. Um, <laughs> but also there's a couple of schools here I've, I'm not familiar with. But it also reminds me, Asha Say is what, number six or seven here. But didn't we look at a ranking like last week or something that put Asha Say number three or four around the world? So including U.S. schools. So, I mean, the, the, the reason why I bring that up is these rankings, they're all good to look at in aggregate, to look at schools that you might be interested in applying, sort of getting that sort of competitive set or whatever. But really, please don't choose a school to attend simply because it's ranked two or three in <laughs> um, Business Week or U.S. News or whatever it was the ranking last week we were looking at. Yeah, maybe it was um, the FT or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, Alex, wouldn't it be awesome if, like, we could democratize Oh, the boy, here just... we go. Here we go. Big plug. Big plug. Yeah, plug alert, allow, we'll call it. Yeah. <laughs> 
and just allow people to like rank the schools themselves. I mean, I think applicants who apply and even students who are going learn a ton about what they think about each school. So um, you're you're making fun of me, but we are we're announcing. Um, it's actually not live yet, but our I mean, our, well, it's live, but it's not really linked on our site. Um, we have this new tool, uh, a new social tool that's called Rankings Wire, um, and you can look at it. You can just go to clearadmit.com forward slash Rankings Wire, all one word, all lowercase, um, and you will see this tool. And basically, the the idea is you go in, um, you get to rank your top ten business schools. Um, we have a you know you pick the schools, you put them in order. And you then have to indicate what's driving your list. Like you might indicate that you know alumni network matters to you, or compensation, or academic experience, or location. There are all kinds of different categories, and you select a handful of factors that you would argue are driving your ranking of the schools. And then you have to provide some info, like if you're a current MBA student, you have to indicate where you're going, so that we can see right out in the open any bias that might be present. Um, you know, or if you're a student or, or sorry, a, an applicant or an alum, whatever. Um, so you indicate that, indicate where you're located. Um, but it's a lot of fun. You get to put in your own ranking and then people can comment on it. Um, they could give it a thumbs up. Uh, and, and yeah, you can see we've, we've just started to compile entries. And I'm mentioning it here because I'd love for podcast listeners to go on and test drive it and put in their entries so that when we do launch it publicly and make an announcement and, and put it on the menu of the site, um, it'll be, you know, filled with lots of entries. And, and it should be really cool because we also have some search tools. So you could start to search for rankings. Um, for example, you could say, I want to see everyone that um, ranked an East Coast location as the most important thing in their, you know, decision about uh, business school or people who are most interested in compensation. I just want to see the rankings that have that as the major determining factor. Um, or you could say, I want to see any list that includes Harvard or, you know, whatever it might be, right? So, um, I think this will get interesting as we collect entries, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully we can sort of democratize you know, these rankings for the people, by the people kind of thing, but but we'll, we'll see what happens. Very good. Looking forward to seeing how that unfolds, Graham. <laughs> yeah. So um, other stuff going on before we get into our wiretaps portion, I wanted to um, mention that I'm going to be sitting down with the admissions directors at both Chicago Booth uh, and Kellogg um, next week, or in the next week, actually. So we should see some additional podcast episodes coming out with me um, chatting with those folks, uh, which I'm very much looking forward to. And then this Wednesday at noon Eastern, uh, I'm going to be emceeing an event, an online event, where we're welcoming the admissions directors from Berkeley, UNC, Columbia, Cornell, and Ross um, to talk essays. So I'm going to be sitting down um, with those folks. And it looks like a great group, and we've got a lot of um, heavy hitters. I think Amanda Carlson from Columbia has come in and Eric Askins over at Berkeley. Like I, th I think, you know, folks send their A-team to come into our events, which is very cool. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And you can sign up on our website or, or just go to bit.ly forward slash essay event series, all one word, all lowercase. Um, Alex, anything else going on with you? I, I did, <laughs> we did get a review, but the, I don't know if you want me to read it because I forgot that the reviewer pokes a little bit of fun at you. I don't know if you remember this one. Why don't we wait till the end? Because we've got to get to these um, these candidates. I know. Yeah, then we'll, we'll save this review to the end because it's absolutely fantastic. But yeah, let's kick on. <laughs> All right, sounds good. So this is Wiretap's candidate number one. So this is someone who's targeting an intake of 2024. So they've got some time. I just want to preface with that. But it's an apply wire entry that we received, and the candidate has currently listed four target schools. They are Duke, Emory, Kellogg, and Darden. 
This person's been working in supply chain consulting and they want to um, move into just sort of strategy consulting or maybe tech after business school. They've listed out a handful of companies as sort of a who's who of consulting from Accenture and AT Kearney on through Bain, BCG, Deloitte, Ernst & Young, McKinsey, and PwC. The GMAT score that this person um, has is a 700, which they, um, I mean, that's their first uh, official uh, test uh, testing. So they've taken it once, scored 700. GPA is a 3.69. They've only been working for about a year. Um, again, because they're not going to apply um, until uh, when they want to start in fall of 24. So they're located in Atlanta, and they would really like to end up in Atlanta after business school. Um, they left us a really lengthy note with all kinds of great details and information um, that you were able to kind of dialogue with them on. Um, but they did say, Alex and Graham love the podcast and excited to post my apply wire entry. I've been listening for the past two years to learn about the application and admissions process in order to help me best build my profile, and I've learned a ton about what is important to me and how I can best achieve my long-term goals through an MBA. So that's that's the profile. Alex, I don't know if you noticed, but they asked us a couple of specific questions, and I don't know if you wanted to try to tackle those or first offer some general commentary on their candidacy. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's why we're profiling them. They said such nice <laughs> things about us, Graham. I mean, that's just the way it goes, right? Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, the, the candidate asked, first of all, about this GMAT, Graham. Um, they got 700 on the GMAT um, on, online um, test. So, so the question was, should they, should they retake it? And, and the answer is quite, quite frank. I, absolutely, they should. Um, because they have another year um, before they have to apply. So they've got plenty of time. Um, they were also felt unwell taking the GMAT and they'd been testing at a higher level. So clearly they think there's room for improvement. Um, so quite frankly, Graham, I think that's a little bit of a no-brainer, right? Get the test taken again. And if they, they run the risk of coming back with a bit of a lower score, I mean, the odds are stacked against that happening based on what they're telling us. Um, but, but if it does come back low, they've got time to retake it again. So I, I do think that they would benefit from, from really pushing and maximizing their, their GMAT score. Yeah. Um, they have a good GPA, so it's not like they, they've got a sort of, uh, the, the, you know, it all rests on, on them doing super, super well on the GMAT. But really, they've got so much time to maximize their overall profile, and the GMAT's a piece of that. So absolutely, they need to do that in my book, Graham, in terms of what you think. Yeah, I, I agree. I was just going to add that, their um, breakdown on the test, they had like a 90th percentile on the verbal. So that's fine. You know, that's terrific. Um, but the math, they were more around the 60th percentile. And so I, I think it's worth, you know, spending a, a little extra time prepping yeah. and taking it again. I totally yeah, agree yeah, with you. Yeah. So their second sort of big um, issue in terms of what they're considering is they want to, in the long run, be in Atlanta. Um, so, so, you know, that's, that's very good. It doesn't mean that they have to get an MBA in Atlanta, although getting an MBA at Emory, knowing you want to be in Atlanta, is probably a very good um, option. It's a very good school based in Atlanta and so on and so forth. Um, but they, they could certainly leave Atlanta uh, for the duration of their MBA, but they need to make sure they go to an MBA that they feel confident can 
provide them a good set of opportunities back into Atlanta. And we talked about this a little bit, Graham. You suggested that UNC Keenan Flagler should at least be included on the list. And we also thought that really any of the top M7 programs are going to give them the the resources and the networks and the, the, the community to be able to recruit well in Atlanta. That's a fair statement, right? Yeah, I agree. I was a little, you know, they want to do consulting in the near term. And I thought, you know, UNC has a pretty good, um, they have a special kind of career track for consulting. So I, I just, you know, they have Duke on the list, I think, right? So yeah. it's sort of like Duke and UNC makes sense, UVA, Emory. I mean, those are all the schools that are really close to where they want to land and have a good track record there. Um, and then I also, yeah, I agree. Like the, any M7 school could place them in Atlanta if they want to go to Atlanta. Um, so they, they may want to, depending on how the GMAT turns out and how everything else kind of comes into frame in terms of, you know, what, how their work experience progresses, et cetera, they might, you know, aim even higher and, and look at some M7 schools. They do have Kellogg on the list right now. But, yeah, yeah I don't know if you agree that they, you know, this sort of so there's a lot of stuff still in flux here. Like we don't know yet because they're still at least a year away from applying. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so hopefully they take that on board. Um, well, they love the podcast, so they're bound to take it on board, right, Graham? But the, um, the, so, so, you know, over the next year, they have another year, they, they have the opportunity to really continue to show impact at work. Um, so maybe, you know, if, if, if you're, you're friendly with your supervisors, sort of get, get, get placed on more, more sort of aggressive projects, whatever it might be to really show that you can, um, you, you, you have that impact, but also in the extracurricular um, activities. And I think for this candidate, this is a little bit more important, Graham, because I'm a little bit concerned about their long-term goal in terms of sort of more, more geared towards um, social impact, I think, that, um, in, in the ad tech space. I think that's what I was um, reading. And it's like, and, and they, they talk about this sort of evolving from their activities outside of work. So making sure that that really does look very strong outside of work, they're having impact, they're doing um, impactful stuff, which they are, but, you know, to the extent that they can ramp that up, I think that's going to be a real advantage if they're tying that to their long-term goal. Absolutely agree. Like, I feel like they have, they're lucky again, they have this next year or so to really work on their extracurriculars and, and keep them, yeah, make sure if you're, if part of your long-term career plan involves marrying, you know, your kind of work experience plus something you've been doing outside of work, that outside of work stuff better be pretty strong um, because you gotta, yeah, you gotta weave it all together. So, but I, I think this person's in very good shape. I think as long as they're open to going after the GMAT again, and, and I, you know, they seemed a little worried about schools seeing multiple scores, and I, I'm not worried about that at all. Schools see multiple scores all the time. Um, I, I just feel like they owe it to themselves to, you know, since they were, they were taking practice tests and scoring a lot higher, so I feel like they could, um, yeah, spend some more time, try and boost it. It may open some doors and, and even scholarship dollars that they otherwise wouldn't have available to. So I, I think it's worth it. Yeah, couldn't agree more. All right, well, I want to thank them for submitting um, and for listening to so many episodes of the podcast so early in their application career. So it's great that they're starting early. Um, they'll probably be sick of us by the time they get, get to the actual application phase. But again, thanks for that post and, and for listening. Let's move on, though, Alex, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is an apply wire entry from a candidate who is uh, applying this season. They've got five schools on the target list, and those schools are Berkeley, Carnegie Mellon, Rice, 
UPenn Wharton, sorry, and uh, UT Austin McCombs. And they have been working, I guess before business school, they've been working as a chemical engineer, and they'd love to pivot into sort of pure tech um, after business school. The GRE score is a 327, and the GPA is 3.62, um, so very solid numbers. They've been working for five years. They're located in Houston, and they indicated in the notes that they wanted to stick to this mix of five schools that they applied for in round one. They feel like they fit the class profile at these institutions. Um, and they were kind of asking if anyone reading this knew about like deadlines in terms of when they might hear about interviews and stuff. But they're also just wondering what we think of their chances and whether they've got the right schools on the list. So Alex, what do you make? I mean, they, they, I, should, I should mention, um, I think this was the candidate that said, yeah, they, they wanted to know if they were an overrepresented minority or not, or sorry, overrepresented majority, um, because they are um, American, but they're of Indian um, descent and they're female. So they wondered about that. And then they also wondered about the M7. Um, and I want to read you a quote and get your take on, on this too. They, she wrote, I haven't looked much into the M7 schools as I always felt they were more geared towards investment banking. So I'll have to take another look which one is geared towards my needs, and I'm happy to hear your thoughts on this. I'm wanting to work in renewable energy or tech, given my engineering background. Mm. So I'll leave it all there, Alex. What do, what do you make of this candidacy overall? Is she overrepresented or underrepresented, and, and should she be applying to M7 schools? Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, Graham, this candidate looks to me like someone who's not surrounded by a bunch of MBA folks, is coming at it sort of without that sort of support network around her. And as a result of that, is a little bit naive, if, if that's a, a, a word that I'm allowed to use, um, entering the admissions process. Because quite frankly, this is a female engineer, chemical engineer, who has um, shown a lot of impact at my work, as, as she's expressed, and um, in the extracurriculars that she's been involved in. Um, she's a 362 GPA as a chemical engineer. So, you know, I don't know if that makes you a rocket scientist, but it certainly makes you very smart. 327 GRE. So the numbers are, are all there. Um, so... And this notion that the, the perception of M7 is a feeder into investment banking is about 30 years old. Um, and yeah, certainly, you know, investment banks love to recruit at the very best schools, um, but they're a smaller, an increasingly smaller portion, if you're able to say it like that, of, of, of the recruiters at these top schools. I really hope this um, candidate... Um, um, does um, throw her, her, her hat in the ring at some of these other M7 programs. I mean, um, she could be... I mean, I'm not saying that her current choice of schools isn't great. And obviously Wharton's in there. That's one of the very, very best. Um, but she fully articulated that she thinks Tepper is her ideal program. And again, I'm not dismissing that Tepper's not very, very good program. But, you know, let's say she got into Stanford and had an option between Stanford and Tepper. I'm not sure that she should choose Tepper over Stanford, for example, right, Graham? So um, I do think this candidate really needs to, to, to think long and hard and, 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 and look at these school selections. If she executes really well on her applications, which I have no doubt that she has, she's already talked about redoing her resume to show impact. So she's got some of that language um, out there. 
Um, and her goals, you know, probably make sense based off of her chemical engineering background. Um, yeah, I, I really do hope that she takes her, or at least my little bit of feedback, I get an app into Sloan at least. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when you look at the school selection, right, the current school selection, which she's applied to these in the first round, remember it's Berkeley, Carnegie Mellon, Rice, Penn, and UT Austin, right? So, you know, if you're thinking about working in, um, you know, energy, which is what she she mentions, right? Mm. She talks about wanting to get into, um, now I can't find the exact uh, renewable energy or, or kind of energy tech and stuff. And yeah. and so, you know, I look at that list and I say, that's a good, you know, those schools are a place, you know, they all have active kind of energy clubs. Um, they all place in, in tech just, uh, you know, generally. Um, so it's fine. I just, when I looked at her numbers and then read more about her experience, I thought, well, this is a good list, but I wonder, yeah, where's like MIT or, or like you're saying Stanford or, you know, just a couple additional high-end, you know, schools, um, kind of M7 schools that might make sense for her to at least look at. Um, and yeah, you know, it's funny you said that that investment banking stereotype is from 30 years ago. I don't even remember it. Like, I, I guess, I mean, I know that some of the top schools have, you know, often sent people to places like Goldman Sachs to do banking or whatever, um, but it was always just a percentage of the class. And I, I feel like consulting, you know, consulting has been there at least as long, mm. like people were heading off into consulting. And so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where, but again, I think you're right. It's, um, I, I don't know if naive is the right word, but just, you know, not everyone is like, not everyone can look to their right and look to their left at work and see two MBAs. You know, it's like right. a lot of people are working where they don't, they're having to figure this stuff out totally on their own. And, and so maybe she falls into that bucket. Um, so I would encourage, yeah, just some additional research. Again, she's applied to a nice list of schools in the first round and may be content to kind of let those results roll in. Um, but we do have an MIT deadline coming up here very soon, and they could be worth exploring. And who knows, if everything goes her way, she could try to, you know, throw in a Stanford app in the second round or something. So I just want to keep her mind open on that kind of stuff. Yeah. In terms of female Indian heritage, where does that fit, Graham? I think like I think you had a great I can't remember where it was but uh, I you think you called it a wash right you're like well you're a woman and women are sought after you know yeah. they're still trying to get to parity in a lot of top schools um, you're Indian but she's I think she's U S educated and 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 U S you know she's American right so I feel like um, I, I'm not I don't I don't know that I would even say she's overrepresented I think she's just sort of you know in the middle like you said sort of a wash yeah. Um, I think on some level, she might be more sought after than, say, an Indian female with a similar background in India um, because she's already kind of proven an ability to excel in the U.S. education system and that kind of stuff. But in any event, I, I feel like I'm not worried about her sort of, you know, uh, demographics in terms of her ability to get into these schools. Should be fine. I agree. Absolutely. All right. So I want to thank, um, thank her for that post. Uh, best of luck as she hears about interviews <laughs> um, and stuff for first round. And yeah, feel free to keep us posted in that Apply Wire thread and we'll, we'll chime in and um, help you decide whether you should be applying to additional schools or not. <laughs> um, Alex, let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. So this is another Apply Wire entry uh, candidates currently applying, again, five schools on the list, and they are Berkeley, Columbia, MIT, NYU, and Stanford. This person has been working, um, well, they've done a couple of different things, but they have like a chemistry background, but also software engineering and product management, and they would love to um, land in tech after business school 
They've got Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, HP, IBM. The list goes on and on. Um, it's a who's who of tech companies that they might want to work for. Their GRE is a, a whopping 328. Their GPA is a 3.0, and they've got two and a half years of work experience. They're currently in Virginia, and they would really like to end up in New York or San Francisco. Um, as you can kind of tell from their <laughs> school selection being very bi-coastal. Um, they mentioned that they uh, came by our website after listening to the podcast on Spotify. And they said it's been so helpful hearing posts uh, from similar backgrounds. Um, this person's an American uh, born, born in the U.S., uh, but grew up in China and then moved back to America starting high school. Um, they did have that chemistry undergrad, um, but you know GPA is a 3.0. So that's a little bit of a red flag. Alex, what do you make of this candidacy? I know you had some dialogue with them, or at least you weighed in on the website. But do you think, you know, do they have the right kind of schools on their list? Are they going to really struggle with that 3-0? What's your take? Um, yeah, the couple of things about this candidate. Um, I'm assuming, Graham, that they've done very well at work. And they've sort of found their path and all that stuff makes perfect sense. They'll be able to show good impact and so on and so forth, ties well to their goals, that's all very good. My concerns are twofold. One is this GPA, and they said, you know, they identified that chemistry really wasn't their bag um, and and sort of allocated their time elsewhere um, through undergrad to try to make an impact and so on and so forth. Um, and it's a 3-0 from, from a, a tough chem, chem, um, chemistry program or something like that, right? So, so they th threw that out there. Um, so, so, so that's fine. So, so let me address that first off, Graham. I think this candidate should just go ahead and sign up for HBS Core or MBA Math, do very well, and acknowledge that this 3.0 may, may raise a bit of a concern. And because of that, not only did they score well on the GRE, but they've taken these preparatory steps um, and so on and so forth. So I think that would be one, one thing to consider doing. The second thing um, that we don't know about, Graham, is what do they do outside of work? What are their um, interests and passions outside of work? And, and if, if the, my concern here is, Graham, if they don't have anything other than that they're a tech geek and they're doing all sorts of really good stuff um, related to work, that they come across as being a little bit one-dimensional in their overall profile. And if that's the case, that might limit some of their opportunity at the very, very best schools that they're targeting. They're targeting a little bit of a, a range of schools, so that's good. But the range is still quite high, Graham, with someone with a 3.0 GPA. Yeah, you could argue these are all kind of top 10 schools. I mean, Stern yeah. and Berkeley are sort of right there, you know, right after the M7. And so all the other schools are, you know, M7 schools. So, I yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I guess, um, yeah, just to provide some additional context, you know, they had that chemistry undergrad, right, from a top seven American undergrad. Um, and they said that, you know, they had to, Basically, by the time they figured out it wasn't their passion, it was too late to switch majors. Um, so they instead ended up doing a lot of leadership on campus and, and tried to kind of um, pivot by doing other activities and things. And, and that's how they got into, um, you know, kind of transitioning into tech because they're currently working. I guess they've done some work on uh, mobile apps in, in the banking world and they've 
um, done a lot of work with like haptics and um, flexible displays. And so they, they've clearly pivoted even despite their degree into this other domain. But you're right, that 3.0 just sits out there, you know, kind of staring at you when, you're, when you pick up the file. And so I think it'd be very smart, like you said, to do something to address it. I hear them on the 328 GRE being a great score. Um, is it like, does it, is it hitting, a, hitting the ball out of the park? Maybe not. Like I think, you know, occasionally you see a GRE where the person's like 330 or, you know, or more, and you're kind of like, whoa, this is not quite there. This is like a tick or two above the average at some of these top schools. So um, yeah, it, it would be helpful, I think. And then, yeah, we don't know about outside activities other than, um, you know, their kind of undergraduate years. So they need both, they need to address this GPA in some way, and they need to have ideally some robust outside activities to make it into these top schools that they're targeting, all of which, I mean, they happen to pick a batch of schools that are super selective, you know? So, um, yeah, do you have any, anywhere that you would recommend they apply? If like, if you, like, I don't really see a safety on this list. Is there like any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, like you say, there's no real safety. There's certainly a, a, a range here: Stern, Stern, and and Haas versus Stanford and and um, and and Columbia, maybe. Um, but yeah, Columbia Haas, I, I think it, some some would consider comparable, um, and and so forth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe a couple of schools, sort of in 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 that top sixteen bracket. You know, Ross always comes to mind when we're talking about sort of product management, that type of yeah, agreed. Um, stuff. I think Ross is always a good option. Not that Ross is much lower um, than than these folks, and certainly Ross and Stern fit right in the same bracket. But the point is. If you add one or two more schools in that bracket, you're spreading your risk a little bit, right? So, Agreed. whilst I might not necessarily say go top 20, but bolster up that top 16 um, range a little bit, which is where Stern typically would fall. Yeah, agreed. So, I think um, that's, you know, that's my, I, you know, if I were this candidate, I don't know if they applied in round one or if they're working on their apps for round two, but I, I would um, certainly, you know, take a peek at you know, some other programs. Ross is a great one. Yeah. I think of Duke. I think of even, you know, Tepper. But, but, but Graham, let's say this this candidate is an athlete in, in their outside of uh, work life or if they're a musician or there's something else about them mm-hmm. that's really super interesting or whatever that they weave into their story, then maybe we're taught, we, we have a, a different narrative. That, that's my point here in terms of we don't know what the EC's extracurriculars are outside of work activities currently. And if there are, if there are none, it sort of makes this person a little bit more unidimensional, which is potentially a risk at the very, very top schools. Absolutely, because I'd want to know that they can juggle a really, you know, uh, challenging work experience and do outside activities and that they're, you know, that their sort of GPA issues are not because they're unable to do more than one thing at once or something. Yeah. Right? So yeah. anyway, I want to thank them for submitting. Um, Alex, if you have a minute, we did get a review that sort of met. You got to get that done quick because I'm about to hang up. <laughs> so um, we got a review from... Uh, I guess from Stockholm, and the person writes, a must listen for everyone considering an MBA. I have binge listened to this for the past week to the point where I feel like I know y'all and it's been great, but I'm running out of episodes. <laughs> um, and so they say, I'm an international applicant listening in from Stockholm, and I must say this has been a blessing being able to hear how you analyze applicants since it's not common for us to study MBAs in the Nordic countries, so I've been rather lost in seeing the school's point of view. Kudos for bringing up all different types of profiles and thoughtfully commenting on them whilst providing other tips along the way. You're both stars. Keep it going. 
One thing I was rather unsure of about, though, could Alex maybe share what he thinks about Stanford's first essay question? So, <laughs> so anyway, I had to laugh at that one just because you never stop talking about Stanford's first essay <laughs> question. Yeah. So clearly this person's poking some fun. <laughs> As we all know, I love that, that essay. But yeah, if they're in Stockholm, maybe they're working in the online gaming industry. I know there's a huge um, culture and community of that over that way that's absolutely fantastic but but no great great review we truly appreciate it and that's what we try to do with this um, podcast is just sort of help deconstruct um, profiles so that so that though you know folks can get a sense of how an adcom thinks that's kind of what we're doing yeah it's like we're letting them into the the back room yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway alex so i know you got to run off to the pub probably but um let's do it all again next week if you're willing and uh yeah thanks so much for picking these out as always very good best of luck everyone stay safe